You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. How's everybody doing today? Anybody liking that fall weather outside? A little bit of, there's a little bit of it in the air. I'm loving it. Super excited. Um, today's an incredible day of celebration. Uh, after the service is over, we'll leave here and, um, with uh, some members of our life group, and we're going to baptize two people in the ocean. And I don't get in the ocean because there's sharks in the ocean, <laughs> but I'll get in the ocean for that. Amen? Amen. So I'm, I'm pumped. I'm looking forward to that. It's uh, already been a great day. Um, hopefully that's going to continue as uh, we turn together. If you got your... Uh, Bible or a smart device, once you turn in, or swipe to the New Testament, we're going to land in the first book there, the book of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, we call those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Gospels, because gospel means good news, and those four books in particular are such good news because they tell the story of the life and teachings of Jesus. And so we're going to land uh, Matthew chapter 5. Um, So you can go ahead and uh, put your finger there. We'll jump in in just a minute. Um, Today we're wrapping up uh, a series called Hashtag Blessed, where we've been taking a look at the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that's found in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And each of the principles of these Beatitudes serve as keys that can unlock blessing and happiness in the life of the believer as they choose to further align their lives with the kingdom of God. And so if you missed any of the previous seven messages in this series, uh, you can catch up by listening to our podcast on Spotify um, or wherever you find podcasts, or you can just click on our YouTube channel and watch my beautiful face there. Um, deliver all the messages. But Matthew chapter 5, we're going to close out with uh, verses 10 through 12. So we'll read together. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I got to know in the house, how many of you have ever been picked on or made fun of before? Yeah, talking to a few people here this morning. This, this may come as a surprise to most of you, but um, I haven't always been the Joe Cool poster boy that stands in front of you today. Um, in fact, pretty much every day from like third grade to eighth grade, I faced varying degrees of ridicule. Back then, um, I was a little bit of a nerd. I was more screech than Slater, you know. We've, I've made that transformation, you know, to this point. Some of y'all get that on the drive home. Some of you, if you don't know what that means, just find someone in their 30s and ask them and they'll be able to tell you. Um, I got straight A's in school, um, so much so to the point that one time in seventh grade, my science teacher said, Blake, your average is so high, you don't have to do your homework anymore for the rest of the year. Like, you're, you're good. Just like, just live a little. You know, I was a nerd, guys. Um, in fifth grade, I got braces and glasses. 
in the same week. That is not a winning combination, I can tell you. Um, I was also the weird Pentecostal kid who had a Bible in his backpack. Like, I was that guy, right? And for whatever reason, some kids decided to leverage all of that against me. And as you all may possibly be aware, kids can just be mean jerks sometimes, right? So I became well-versed in all of the appropriate comebacks. You know, the, I know you are, but what am I? Or it takes one to know one. Or my personal favorite, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you, right? Or the age-old sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But the truth is, words hurt. It did hurt. I can remember a number of nights crying to my parents because of the way that my classmates had treated me that day. I wanted to know why. Why was it like this? Why was this happening? Why were they saying those things? Why were they doing those things to me? I, I didn't understand. And, and I'd like to be able to tell you this morning that the older I've gotten, that things have changed. But unfortunately, that would be a lie. In, in fact, in some ways, the ridicule has only intensified. And while I still don't understand why, I suppose the good news is, is that I've, I've just simply learned to, to cope with it a little bit better. I've learned to laugh at myself. I've learned to be a little more comfortable in my own skin. But that doesn't take away from the fact that words can still hurt. And these days, the, the ridicule is, is rarely because of my looks or my clothes or anything like that. Rather, it's usually a result of the stance that I take in regard to my belief in Jesus. And what we see in the scriptures is not only will stuff like this happen to those who put their faith in Christ, but it's something that those kinds of people should expect to happen. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us this. He says, yes, Paul, Paul writes, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Will is the key word, not may, but will. If you are a believer, you can be certain that others will abuse you verbally. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you. That word revile means to assail with contemptuous or opprobrious language, to address or speak of abusively. It's to be insulted or scolded or mocked. It's it's what takes place when you're accused of hate speech for expressing the belief that homosexuality is a sin. It's what takes place when you're called uneducated and insensitive for believing that God created only two genders, male and female, and that they are clearly defined. It's what takes place when you're labeled as anti-woman for being against abortion on demand and celebrating the overturning of Roe versus Wade. People are going to they're going to abuse you verbally. They're also going to assault you physically sometimes. Jesus said, blessed are you when others persecute you. Persecution can, can mean anything from imprisonment to torture and to death. And, and beginning with Jesus himself, his followers suffered physical persecution in every single age from the first century all the way to today. According to Fox's Book of Martyrs, all of the apostles but John were killed because of their faith. Peter was crucified up down, upside down in Rome. 
He did not believe that he was worthy to be killed in the same manner as Jesus, so he chose to be crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. Bartholomew was beaten and crucified in India. James, the son of Zebedee, John's older brother, was beheaded by Herod. And it's said that on the way to be martyred, James' accuser was so impressed by his courage and conviction that he repented, became a Christian, and was beheaded alongside of James that day. James the Less was beaten, stoned, and then clubbed until his skull cracked open and his brain spilled out. He was 94 years old at the time. Jude, the brother of James, was crucified. Matthew was cut and stabbed to death. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded in Jerusalem. Philip was scourged, imprisoned, and crucified. Simon was crucified in Britain. Stephen was stoned to death in Jerusalem. Thomas was thrust through with a spear in India. And Paul was beheaded with a sword in Rome. See, Jesus never preached a prosperity gospel. Instead, he preached a persecution gospel. John 16, these are the words of Christ. He says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. You ready to sign up yet? Anyone? <laughs> See, those of us who are righteous, we are guaranteed persecution. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more than more those of us who are his true followers can expect the level of persecution to increase. They're going to abuse you uh, verbally. They're going to attack or assault you physically. And then they're also going to attack your character. Jesus said, blessed are you when others utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. This is a lot like reviling, but it often takes place behind your back. It's not so much abusive as it is simply untrue. It's designed to discount and discredit what you say and what you believe. It's a direct misinterpretation of the facts in order to get believers in trouble. See, persecution is no longer relegated to simply missionaries overseas or believers in third world countries, though that is still a very real and present danger for those people. Persecution has now come to our backyards and affects the young person standing up for what they believe in the classroom who is forced to endure the taunts and jeers from their unbelieving classmates, that, that young person is being persecuted. It's, it's, it's the businessman who refuses to compromise his integrity and in return risks not only his promotion but his job as well. That man is being persecuted. It's the wife who takes a stand for purity in her home by refusing to lower her standards and placate her unbelieving husband and as a result is beaten or cheated on, she is being persecuted. For, for the believer in Jesus, it is not a matter of if, but a matter of when. When is it going to happen? It's important for us to notice right here at the beginning of this message that, that Jesus, the blessing that Jesus pronounces on those who are persecuted is, is the ones that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. See, you, you can't exercise religious liberty and misbehave for the cause of Christ, and then when you get challenged for that misbehavior, call that persecution. See, the blessing for the, the, those that are persecuted isn't, isn't for a believer who has legitimately done something wrong. 
A Christian who has broken God's commands and is experiencing the resulting consequences of their behavior is, is not experiencing a blessed persecution. Peter writes about this in, in 1 Peter 4, verses 14 and 15. He says, If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the glorious Spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. So, for example, when a prominent minister is caught having an extramarital affair, and his sin is plastered publicly all over the news and social media, he is not experiencing a blessed persecution. Believers who suffer because they have done wrong and then try to attribute their suffering to persecution are really just shifting the blame that they otherwise deserve for what they've done. But you and I, we need to make no mistake this morning. Following Christ isn't for wimps. It's not for the faint of heart. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be rejected by the in crowd. You're going to find yourself as the butt of cruel jokes. You're going to be taken advantage of. You're, you're going to be insulted. You will experience injustice. But in the midst of all of that, here's what you need to understand. That when people persecute you because of your faith, they're not doing it because they hate you. The reality is that they're doing it because they hate God. See, ultimately, they, they aren't rejecting you so much as they are rejecting the love, light, and life of Jesus Christ that is shining out of you. Because the goal of the unbeliever is to suppress the truth. And the believer stands as a direct reminder of that truth. And so the reason the unbeliever tends to hate the believer is because the believer is the embodiment of the very thing that the unbeliever is trying to suppress. And so when we experience this, the question then becomes, what is the proper response for us, right? What's the proper response? And, and we look to the scriptures and, and we see what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5. He says, first off, you need to rejoice. What? You need to rejoice when this happens. Because persecution is an indicator that, that you're bearing the image of your Savior. Persecution is a reminder that, that you're linked to the witness of the prophets who came before you. Your, your life, the life that you live, it's a testimony to everyone around you. So in that moment, remain faithful, remain committed, refuse to bow to the false gods of this world because your life serves as an inspiration to others, pointing them in the direction of Jesus. And so when you're persecuted, it's simply proof that you're on the right track because if you're blending in with the world, there's nothing for other people to harass. I love what my pastor, John Morgan, says. He says, this world doesn't care if you go to church, if you read the Bible, or if you pray. It only starts to care when you live out what you learn at church, in the Bible, and on your knees. That's when persecution comes. We'll finish up Jesus' statement in John 16, He said, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. The last part of that verse is, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us, he says, take heart, rejoice. It's gonna be okay. 
You can be uplifted in those moments. When, when we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, we are to rejoice. And rejoicing is what you do when you receive good news. When you get a raise, you rejoice. When the doctor gives you a clean bill of health, you rejoice. When you close on your new house, you rejoice. When you get an A on the test, you rejoice. When all of those things happen, that's when you rejoice. And Jesus says that that's the same reaction we should have when we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. We should receive it like it's good news. We don't whine and complain because of how unfair life is. Why is this happening to me? Because persecution is an indicator that we are doing precisely what God wants us to do and that we are precisely where God wants us to be. And not only are we supposed to rejoice in those moments, but he also says rejoice and be glad. In fact, the King James Version says be exceeding glad. To be overjoyed, that it's a cause for celebration, that we're going to throw a party with fist bumps and high fives and woohoos whenever we're persecuted. And, and the tension here that we feel at, at first glance is, is because this seems ridiculous, right? I don't know, like as I'm reading this, I, I may, maybe it's just me, but when I read this, I'm like, this, this does not seem like the behavior of any rational, sane person who would respond to persecution like this? Like, how is it even possible? How can we be happy like this when, when facing persecution can be so difficult? But if, if this is what we're supposed to do and this is how we are to respond, then what does it practically look like for this to be a part of our everyday lives? And so for the next few minutes, I want to talk to you about seven characteristics of those that are blessed in the midst of persecution. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. Seven characteristics of those who are blessed in the midst of persecution. That, that if, if we're going to live our lives this way, then these are some of the things that we need to inhabit and embody and portray in our life so that we can position ourselves for God's blessing in the midst of the world's persecution. The first one is positivity. Positivity. Maybe you've heard of a guy by the name of Viktor Frankl. He was a psychiatrist and author of the book, Man's Search for Meaning. Frankel was a Jew who was imprisoned by the Nazis in World War II. His wife, children, and parents were all killed in the Holocaust. And when the Gestapo arrested and imprisoned him, they stripped Frankel of all of his clothes. And he stood before them totally naked, wearing nothing but his wedding band. And as they removed even his wedding ring from him, Frankel writes that he said to himself in that moment, you can take away my wife, you can take away my children, you can strip me of my clothes and my freedom, but there's one thing no person can ever take away from me, and that is my freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. See, the truth is, you can't control what others do to you or what they say to you, but you can control how you respond to it. You are free to choose your attitude in any situation. You can decide to remain positive no matter how negative the circumstances may be. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 says, But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When he was struggling when he was facing persecution, when he was in a difficult situation, what did David do? 
he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. What does that mean? It means that he talked to himself. This is perhaps the best thing that you and I can do. When trouble comes your way, when, when people begin to ridicule you because of your faith, when, when the pressure mounts and you feel yourself slipping into despair, it's time to start talking to yourself. You need to remind yourself of Psalm 42 and 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. You need to begin to speak Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. In those moments of difficulty, you need to begin to proclaim Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. In those moments of adversity and struggle, you need to proclaim the words of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Our attitude, our response, it is a choice that you and I have in the midst of persecution. Positivity is the key to maintaining our joy and to being blessed. Number two, the second characteristic is first positivity and then preparation. We're currently in the middle of a hurricane season here in Florida. In fact, there's one that's allegedly headed this way here over the next few days. And those of us who are residents here, we're, we are endlessly reminded of the importance of being prepared in the event that a storm should hit. We're told to stockpile things like bottled water and flashlights and batteries and non-perishable food. We'll also need a means for cooking and medical supplies and a car full of gasoline, etc. Something the authorities continually impress upon us is that we can't wait until the storm strikes to begin collecting supplies. And the same thing is true when it comes to persecution. See, no doubt this morning there's a storm headed your way. And as a result, it's vitally important that we equip ourselves properly before the crisis hits. You don't go shopping for a generator in the middle of 150 mile an hour winds. In the same way, you don't prepare for persecution in the middle of the crisis. You have to do it before it begins. So some simple things that you can do to get prepared is, is by spending time developing and strengthening your relationship with your heavenly father. You can get prepared by spending time reading and studying and memorizing God's word, by spending time in prayer, by spending time with other believers for support and encouragement in the midst of your child. You got to get in a life group. You got to get out of these rows and get in a circle and get around some like-minded people and start doing life together so that when the poop hits the fan, can I say that? I just did. When the poop hits the fan in your life, you got some people to lean on, to link arms with, to walk through this stuff with you. See, when, when you expect persecution, you can be better prepared for when the persecution comes along. When you know it's coming, 
you can get ready. And when you get ready, you can stay ready. And when you stay ready, then you don't have to get ready, right? So we can prepare ahead of time. So positivity, preparation number three, perseverance. Perseverance. I recently read a story about a politician who's doing the best job that he possibly could, but being human, he had made some mistakes, he'd let some folks down, and he was being criticized as a result. Reporters only added to the attacks by spreading a false narrative via the news. Imagine that. Exasperated, the politician drove out into the country to visit a close friend who happened to be a farmer. He went to his friend and he said, what am I going to do? Nobody has tried harder than me to do more good for the people. And now look how I'm being criticized. And the farmer was sympathetic but could hardly hear the complaints of his friend because his hound dog was howling at the moon so loudly. Despite the farmer's rebuke, the dog just kept on howling in the midst of their conversation. And finally, the farmer asked the politician, do do you know what you should do to handle your critics? He said, listen to that dog, and now look at the moon. Remember that people will likely keep criticizing you no matter what you do, but here's the lesson. Even though the dog keeps on howling, the moon keeps on shining. That's how you and I are to respond in situations like this, that no matter how loud the howls and the barks and the critics, we just keep on doing our thing. We just keep on keeping on. Maybe you recall the story of Nehemiah from the Old Testament. Nehemiah was was charged with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And and despite the fact that that things were going well and that the construction was being completed ahead of schedule, which around here, um, as we drive up and down 200, we have no idea what that actually is like. (laughs) Despite all of that was happening and good things and it was moving in the right direction... You'll find it uh, hard to believe, right, that, that some people still weren't happy. In fact, there were three men in particular giving Nehemiah an especially hard time. Their names were Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And with names like that, no wonder their undies were in a bunch, right? <laughs> like, I'm not really sure that their parents even liked them. Like, Sanballat? I apologize if your name is Sanballat. Um, <laughs> please forgive me. But they accused Nehemiah of building the wall for his own glory leading the people in rebellion against the king, and then misappropriating the funds that were going to the project. And so they wrote him a letter detailing their complaints and asking for a sit-down meeting to discuss it all with him. They tried to get him to stop doing his work on the wall to attend a conference with them so that he could face their accusations. In Nehemiah 6, verse 3, Nehemiah says, So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I like that dude. (laughs) See, when you're engaged with the work of the Lord, your enemies wouldn't believe your explanations even if you told them. So instead, just choose to persevere in what's right. If your heart is right, if your motives are pure, if you're obeying the Lord, you're doing his work, then my encouragement to you this morning is don't back down. Don't compromise on behalf of the naysayers and don't waste your time trying to convince the negative crowd. Just persevere in in doing what's right. Because the truth is that the prize doesn't go to the one who gets done the fastest. It's not given to the most popular. It isn't granted to the one who makes the, the fewest amount of enemies along the way. The prize is simply given to the one who endures to the end. 
who continues to do what is right regardless of the consequences. When you refuse to bow down and compromise, sometimes God will miraculously deliver you from the fire. But other times you're going to have to face the furnace. But when that happens, his promise to us today is that even before we get to the fire, he's going to be there waiting on us. He'll be with us. He won't abandon us, and he will bring us out. And when he does, our clothes won't be burned, the hairs on our head won't be singed, and we won't even smell like smoke. So go ahead. Let those jokers make their accusations. Let everyone run their mouth. Let them spew their venomous abuse. Because you and I, we hold on to the promise of of what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're under the gun today, don't quit. If you're being persecuted for doing good, Refuse to bow down. Hang in there. I have it on good authority that because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. Positivity, preparation, perseverance. The fourth characteristic is pardon. Pardon. Simply put, you have a choice today. You can hang on to the grudges and grievances that you carry against others. You can choose to hold on to bitterness and anger. You can keep on throwing the same old pity party for yourself over and over and over again. Or you can pardon those who have hurt you. It's as simple as that. And if you find this humanly impossible, then maybe that's an indicator that you need to call on the Lord for help. That you need to simply ask God to forgive those who've hurt you so badly to transform your heart toward them in the process got to pardon those that have hurt us. Positivity, preparation, that was a quick one. Perseverance, pardon. Number five, persistence. Persistence. Whenever we're suffering, it's easy to lash out against everyone around you, including God. And the truth is, it's, it's, it's hard to continue trusting in the Lord when we're being ridiculed and, and rejected at every turn. But consider this lesson from the life of Job. There's likely never been anyone to face greater persecution in this world than Job did. He experienced financial ruin. He lost all of his possessions. All of his children were killed on the same day when the house they were in, having a birthday party, collapsed on top of them. He's got no food. He's got no money. His pet's heads are falling off. I mean, like, this was Job. One day he's at the end of his rope, he's sitting in ashes, he's buck naked and he's scraping the sores that are covering his body from top to bottom with a broken piece of pottery. And in the middle of his misery, this is Job's confession. He says, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had 
and the Lord is taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. See, a little later on, Job's wife gets in the mix and she tells him, Job, I think you should just curse God and die. What an uplifting woman she is. (laughs) This is how Job responds. He says, but Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? And finally, Job testifies, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. Or maybe your translation reads, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. See, that's what God is looking for today. Someone who will hope in him regardless of the situation. Someone who will just trust in his promises despite what reality seems to dictate. In the basement of a German home in the midst of Hitler's tyranny was once found a star of David etched along with these words. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I do not feel it. I believe in God, even when he is silent. It's like that worship song that we sing, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. He is the way maker today. You may not be hearing him clearly right now, You may have difficulty feeling his presence right now. If that's you, my encouragement is don't discard him. Don't discount him. Don't give up on him. Just persist in trusting him. I'm reminded of the words of the great theologian of the sea, Dory from Finding Nemo. (laughs) Just keep swimming. See, in the midst of chaos and confusion, the truth is, he's still God. He has not abdicated his throne. He has not surrendered his scepter of power to another. And what often looks like the end of the road for us is nothing more than a bend in the road. So what you're facing now is not how your story has to end. Because the cross has the final word. And it is good. It is good. Positivity, preparation, perseverance, pardon, persistence. Number six, the sixth characteristic, prayer. Prayer. You know, perhaps we wouldn't be so quick to pray for deliverance from situations like this if we were able to pull back and see the big picture of what God is doing in our lives whenever we're experiencing this kind of persecution. If we could only see the refining that's taking place, if if we could only see the way that we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, if we could see the fullness of the story that he is writing in our lives, if, if we could see all of those things materializing in front of our eyes, maybe then our prayer would not be, Lord, help me get out of this, but instead be, Lord, help me get something out of this. So there's a difference there. Job knew that difference. In in chapter 23, verses 8 through 10, it says, I go east, but he is not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. But he knows where I am going, and when he tests me, I will come out pure as gold. 
It's what James, the brother of Jesus, wrote about in his letter in the New Testament where he writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you find yourself in the middle of a time of testing today, why not simply ask the Lord what you can learn from it? God, what are, you, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? Positivity, preparation, perseverance, pardon, persistence, prayer. And then number seven is passage. Number seven, the seventh characteristic, passage. I referenced my pastor, John Morgan, earlier in this message. Something else that I've heard him say many times before is something that I've adopted for myself. He says that one of his favorite Bible verses in all of the scriptures is the one that reads, and it came to pass. In other words, it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. See, you you need to remember that the persecution that you're experiencing, it's not here to stay. It's just something you're experiencing for right now. It it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. According to Psalm 23, we, we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we're walking through it. And we will get through it. And as we do, we're gonna get through it because the Bible says that the Lord is there in the valley with us. When we endure persecution, the truth is we never endure that persecution alone. Even though we may never get true justice here on earth, even though we may suffer wounds, the hands of others, even though we may be ridiculed and rejected and cursed, eventually, for those of us whose hope and trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be a payoff. Because for those people, this world is not all that there is. For those people... We're not living for the things that just exist right in front of us, the things that we can see, those things that are, that are merely temporary and passing away. But those people have chosen to live for something more. See, this life is not all that there is for us. For those of us whose hope is in Christ, the grave is not our final destination. And this is the message of the Beatitudes. It's the core of what Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's this idea that choosing to live your life in service for the Lord is not in vain. It's not for nothing. One day, we hold on to the hope that it will be worth it. It's going to be worth it when we see Jesus face to face. It's going to be worth it when we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now come on in and let the party begin. When we find ourselves dressed in white, it's going to be worth it. When we cast our crowns of glory at the Savior's feet, it's going to be worth it. When we're gathered around the throne with the multitude, singing and declaring his praises, it is going to be worth it. 
Yes, here you may have heartache. Here you may experience great persecution. Here you may have to endure overwhelming tribulation. But the Lord has a great reward set aside for you. And he's going to make it right in the end. That's what we hold on to today. Consider these words from Revelation chapter 7. John writes, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. That is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is what Jesus was referencing when he told his followers to rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That reward can be yours today by simply believing on Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you're here in this room watching with us online, you'd like to do that this morning. I want to invite you to just pray this simple prayer with me. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. Today I choose to follow Jesus and his way the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.